Brothers and sisters, hear the good news of your forgiveness. For you indeed are forgiven through the blood of Christ Jesus that he shed at the cross for your sins. He died as a substitute for you, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, the shepherd for the sheep, and the king for his people. He was the perfect sacrifice and therefore the perfect substitute. For in his death he takes away the takes away sins once for all time. There was no blemish or imperfection in him. His blood was costly, and he shed it on the cross for you. So brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. And all God's people say, amen. The reading of God's word to us begins in Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus 16, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Yahweh spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had approached the presence of Yahweh and died. And Yahweh said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body. And he shall be girded with a linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall take the two goats and present them before Yahweh at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for Yahweh and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot, uh, on which the lot for, the, for Yahweh fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before Yahweh to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, uh, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before Yahweh, and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before Yahweh, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony, lest he die. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. And he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel, and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins, and thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. 
Then he shall go out to the altar that is before Yahweh and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. And with his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it, and from the impurities of the sons of Israel consecrate it. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. And the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments which he put on uh, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body with water in a holy place, and put on his clothes, and come forth and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he shall offer up in smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar. And the one who released the goat of the, as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Then afterward he shall come into the camp. But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the, pl- in the holy place, shall be taken outside the camp, and they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. Then the one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Then afterward he shall come into the camp. We'll turn now to Second Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up uh, by life. Now he who has prepared us, for this very purpose is God, who gave, us, gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we, all, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, that you may, be, that you may have an answer for us who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, 
that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. If you would please now turn to the back of your bulletin, we'll read together as a congregation, Psalm 12, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of men. This is the word of the Lord. How about now? Okay, start again. I don't give redos on the first phrase. You've probably heard of the phrase, the, the big lie. I, I didn't know a lot about this. You heard it in response to the election a couple years ago. Depending on who you read and what you read, you'll have very different context for that phrase. As far as I can tell, it actually originated with Adolf Hitler. And it's, it's in his book, Mein Kampf, and he tells, uh, as he's writing from prison and convincing the German people that a big lie was perpetrated against them, and, and he blames this big lie on the Jewish people and blames them for the loss of World War I. Of course, we know that this man then took that big lie and, and turned it around. He perpetrated his own much, much bigger lie. I don't, I don't even know exactly what he said, but of course, the second lie, the big lie, it was fantastic. And that phrase went out of usage for a long time, and it was picked up by President Biden in response to President Trump's claim that the election was stolen. And he said that this is a big lie. President Trump then appropriated that phrase and said, no, the election was a big lie. So what is it, what is it talking, to, talking about? It's talking about the, the size of the lie, a, a fantastic lie that's so big that you don't question it. It's a, a foundation-shaking lie that is beyond suspicion purely because of its size. In our culture today, you can see in our political culture worlds, wars right now that, that lies, deceit, they're, they're the norm on every side. 
sometimes we don't judge those that we agree with or align with quite as harshly, but the reality is if you look carefully, everything that we see around us now is, is built on lies. In cultures that are godless, you see there's no compunction to tell the truth. There's no, there's no inhibition. In fact, it's assumed that everything is a lie. And we're, we're quickly moving toward, toward that kind of culture where everybody lies. They're flattering lips. Think of uh, Congressman George Santos. So he's a Republican that was removed from office six weeks ago now. And his campaign was built on lies. It was a big lie. He lied about everything, about who he was. He eventually confessed to it when he was caught that essentially the entirety of his persona was a lie. Lies are kind of like clothing. You stick them on and they cover up who you are. They present a, a new reality to the world. In Minnesota, everybody lives a lie because uh, you walk around and you, you get a little glimpse of it today, but everybody looks like a marshmallow. They're all equal marshmallows. You cannot tell what is inside that package. So it's an equalizing lie. But clothing is like that. You stick it on, you take it off, it changes who you are. In our passage today, Paul is telling us that as believers, we are called to put away lies. And so the question we have today, we have to ask ourselves is, first of all, are we liars? What kind of lies do we perpetrate? And in the midst of that, what is the extent that Paul wants us to think about when he tells us to stop lying? So consider that, and we're going to come before God and, and ask him to open our hearts and ears. So Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning, that as your word is spoken, you would bore out our ears, you would strip away every vestige of sin, every remaining deceit that's in us, help us to be uncovered before you so that we, we have no covering lies, no deceit that separates us from you and from one another. And Lord, we pray that you would raise us up as the new man, dressed and clothed in righteousness. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you remember from last week, we are in the middle of Colossians 3, and this epistle written to a young church, Paul is warning them about about lies. He's warning them about a coming or already come deceit that will arrive in their midst. And so he, he, he says, I'm writing these things so that no one may delude you, no one may trick you with persuasive words because lies are coming if they're not already walking about amongst you. He says, I want you to walk in Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy that's built on empty deception. It's vain. It leads nowhere. You've got that nice marshmallow and inside is nothing. There's no person. There's no substance. And that's what lies are. They vanish as soon as you, as, as soon as you touch them. And then we're on to a new set of lies. As we think about this subject, obviously this is, is a personal sin, but Paul is going to go beyond that. But as we start, I want you to consider then the array of personal lies, and then we're going to read the passage and, and look uh, a little bit more in depth at, at what he's saying. But lies take all kinds of shapes and sizes. Their motivations, at, at their base, I think you can differentiate between two motivations in lying. The lie that seeks to cover, to ev evade responsibility, to cover sin, 
So that's one kind of lie. And then the other kind of lie that seeks to take a hold of what's not, not yours, what's not, not ours. So it's an idolatrous lie. Both of those together, lest we confuse ourselves, take all kinds of forms in our lives. They can be spoken, they can be silent, they can be enacted. So you can think about lies within our lives where you say nothing, even though you know the truth. There's a, a silent lie. There's a kind of evasive lie where someone asks you a question and you don't answer it. You kind of work around it and then walk away. So there, there's evasive deception. We practice it. We make ourselves bigger than, than we are. We can flatter with our lips, as Psalm 12 says, so that we get what we want. Those are all kinds of lies. In our passage today, Paul says, you must, we must, all together stop lying. And it's a single imperative. So I'm going to read, beginning in chapter 3, remind you where we're at, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at the details of this single sentence in verses 9 through 11. If then you have been raised up with Christ, or since then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore... Put to death the members of your limbs on earth, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. It's on account of these things that the wrath of God comes. In them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, harmful speech, Wicked words from your mouth. Lie not to one another, since you have put aside, since you've stripped off the old man with his practices, and have put on the new man, who is being made new, according, who's being made new in a knowledge according to the image of the one who has created him, in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Scythian, barbarian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you." Beyond all these things, love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So you remember, Paul has reminded us of who we are. We've stripped off the old man. He's been stripped in the circumcision of Christ on the cross. We're united with him in baptism, and we are made new. He's going to speak to that again in this section. He says, you have died with Christ. That old man is dead 
And so last week we talked about what that means. The old man is dead, so therefore put to death all that doesn't go with him. Put to death every form of sexual perversion, every unclean thought, every passion, every evil, wicked desire. Put it to death because all of those things amount to nothing more than covetousness, which is idolatry. You remember that that sequence goes from outside, from the works of the flesh to inside, to the desire of the heart, and the only solution that Paul has presented thus far is a desire replacement program. You have to switch your desires, look to Christ, see where he is in the heavenly places, set your mind, which once was hostile to God, but now has been made new, is being made new. Set your mind, your thoughts on Christ who seated in the heavenlies where your life is. And your desires will change. And that desire change will work outward into the, the, works, of your, of your, uh, the works of your hands and your feet and your mouth. And we're going to add a little bit to that, that plan as we work through this text. But then remember... He adds to that list in verse 8, and this is, this is important for our context. So the base, the base sin, which is covetousness, and he says that's idolatry because you want more than what God is giving, that base sin can either work itself out into every form of sexual perversion, so you can take what you want, or it can work itself out in anger when you don't get what you want, and that anger comes it expresses itself in wrath, malice, slander, and hate, hateful speech. And so either way, it's working itself out through the flesh. But then in verse 9, he starts a new sentence. It's a wonderful Pauline sentence. It's, it's nice and long with lots of uh, phrases in it. But it's, it's both attached to what was and then what's coming. So if you look down to verse 12, he says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. And he gives us these, these five, five things that we're supposed to clothe ourselves. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So those five attributes, clothe yourselves in them, dress in them. And notice that in verse 8, it's the corresponding take off. So first in verse 8, take aside, put aside, take off, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and uh, words to hurt from your mouth, and put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In between, we have verses 9 through 11. Uh, pay close attention. I'm, I'm going to read these verses again and show you this, the structure. Do not lie to one another, because you have laid aside the old man with his way of living having put on the new man who is being made new in a knowledge in the knowledge according to the image of the one who created him in this newness there is no greek there is no jew there is no circumcised there is no uncircumcised there is no barbarian there is no scythian there is no slave there is no free man but christ is all and in all so on the Outer sides of this, of this sentence, we have put off and put on. It's familiar Pauline language. Take off one set of clothes, put on a new set of clothes. Inside, he says, don't lie. 
And on the, 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 the outside of this expression in verse 11, why, why don't you lie? Well, ultimately, it's because Christ is all and in all. Lying is a social sin. Paul's going to tell us, in fact, that all sin is a social sin. We'll see that in just a second. But there's, there's two fundamental phrases in the middle that describe the, the why do not lie to one another. Because you have or ha- you have put off the old man and put on the new man. So these, these two reasons undergird it. And so if you look at the whole structure, Paul says, put off the old man, don't lie, having put off the old man, having put on the new man, now put on the new man. He says, you've, you've done it, you've put it off, so don't, don't lie, now put it off even more. Keep putting it off. Put it on. You've put it on, now put it on even more. And we're going to see that there, the, the lying is the connection between the two. Between having put it off and putting it off. If that's confusing to you, it's okay. We're, 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 that's the main point we, we need to uncover today. All right. Paul has told us, he's told us that in, in, in truth, we've already died with Christ. And then he told us, put to death. It's really confusing to us. We can, we can take the language of the church position and, and practice and power. I think that gets to part of the answer. But in, in our text, there's a connection that goes between what is true, which is who you are in Christ. You are, we are, a new creation, a new man. Now there's this vestige that remains, and when the vestige doesn't match the person that God has made us to be, then we're living a lie. This isn't the way that we usually think about it. That the sins in my life they proclaim lies. What, what does that mean? When Paul started out, and what we spent our time on last week, put to death the members of your body on earth, the limbs that sit on earth, put them to death, and the, the starting one, uh, sexual perversion, immorality, pornography, adultery, In our world, other than, other than rape, one of the lies that floats around is that that kind of sin is a victimless sin, particularly, particularly the one that just involves you. If it's just in your thoughts or, or on a screen and there's nobody else, there's, there's no victim other than you. And so this is one of the lies that's been perpetrated to advance the cause of homosexuality, to ad- advance all, every manner of sexual perversion. The, what, what we're told from the outside, from the world, funneled through the father of lies, is that this doesn't hurt anybody. So what is your ethic against, against these kinds of sins? Well, Paul, working from the outside to the inside, he's saying that all of these sins, for the Christian... When we clothe ourselves in them, when we walk in them, when we live in them, they lie. Now, specifically, look in verse 9. It's not just a generic lie. 
There's an object to this lie. The object is one another. So he, he doesn't have in, in mind uh, a lie to the unbeliever. I'm, I'm not saying that's okay for you to do. But specifically here in this text, the lie is to one another. Do not lie. Put away. Stop lying to one another. And it's within this bigger context of what are you clothed in? What, what covers your life? What dress and garb are you wearing? And so, Paul tells us we've already put off the old man. If you've taken on the name of Christ, it's been placed upon you, you've called on him, you've been baptized into Christ, and then continue in this kind of sin, is not victimless, instead it's a social sin. We, are, we already saw that that, that base idolatry works itself out into social sin, into anger, rage, malice, slander, and harmful speech. But all of those things together are a lie. And we're going we're to add to that list of lies. But this, this is the big lie. When we live in sin, in our midst, we're proclaiming to one another that Jesus has not done this work for us. He's insufficient. I need more than what he's given, than what he is providing and we're teaching and training one another that he is not enough. And so in Colossians, this is the lie that Paul is warning about. He's warning about the Judaizers coming in and saying you need to be circumcised. He's warning about going back under the rulers and the authorities. Well, why do you go back? It's the same reason that the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt in the wilderness. They said, well, there's leeks and there's onions and there's cucumbers there. They had more than we have. We put aside sin in order to be congruent with the reality that Jesus has made. Be what you are. We are a new creation in Christ. Don't lie to one another. Remember I said there's two reasons here. Because you have, past tense, because you have, you have put off, divested. The word actually is uh, stripped. For those of you with long elephant memories, you'll remember I made a big deal about that word six months ago. So I'm sure you all, sure you all remember. So it's, it's showed up twice already in the book of Colossians. Once in chapter 2, verse 11, In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the stripping of the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. So this is what he's talking about. You have stripped off the old, the old man. This is done. He's looking back to this thought. In Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the stripping away of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So this is done. Circumcision is done. You've been circumcised because that whole old man was stripped away. In verse 10, then we, we add to this language. It's a, not just a stripping off, but also a putting on. This language of taking off clothes and putting on clothes. Now, I can make it easy for you and just talk about, you know, the clothes of 
of, of policemen, uniforms. But there's a, there's a biblical pattern to this that I, I want you to see because it enriches the picture of taking off one set of garments and putting on another set of garments. And it, it does so in a context that Paul directs our attention to. So I, I want to I pull out a few phrases from here and then, then we're going to go to that Old Testament context. So he says, don't lie to one another because you have put off the old man with his practices. So all of that sexual perversion right down to the base covetousness and idolatry and all the anger outpouring when you don't get it. Those are all the practices of the old man. You've put them aside. You've put on the new man who is being made new in a knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You've put off one thing, you've put on another thing, another man, and the foundation of that man, the reflection, the image, how do you know what it's going to look like? He's being made new in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That should sound very, very familiar to you. So turn back with me, as always, to Genesis. We're never going to escape Genesis. In Genesis 1, 26, something we should all have memorized purely by repetition. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said, let them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God made mankind in his image. In Colossians, stay in Genesis, but in Colossians chapter 3, we were being made new into that image. So this new man is made new in the image of the one who created him. It's a, it's a replication of Genesis 1. It's happening again. But Paul has already told us now that image in which we're being made new, back from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So the image in which we, as the new man, are being made new is Jesus. Everybody should be with me so far. But he adds one more word. We're being made new to knowledge, in knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. Now, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we bring the concept of being made new in image, the idea of being clothed or invested, and knowledge all together in one story. So you can remember the story. God placed in the middle of the Garden of Eden a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he said, you shall not eat from that tree. And Adam and Eve, of course, listening to the serpent were deceived. There was a, a big lie in which the serpent says, you surely won't die. If you eat it, you won't die. And so they saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. And so they took from its fruit and ate and their eyes were opened and they were ashamed. And so they sowed for themselves a set of fig leaves. 
and they hid in the garden in the cool of the day. So there was knowledge. They took the knowledge by eating the fruit. They took the lie into themselves, received this knowledge, and then their eyes were open. They received some kind of wisdom. Their eyes were opened and they saw. And in their seeing, they were ashamed because they became sinners. And so they wanted to cover themselves. Now, what's this talking about? In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sin, when they defy the God who created them by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and their eyes are opened and they are ashamed, their immediate response is to seek out cover. Part of that is because they want to cover themselves from God. That covering, the fig leaves, become a substitute for their skin, for their flesh, because sin has come to reside in their flesh, and so they create a covering made out of the leaves of trees, and they hide from God. All of this is baked into Paul's put-off, put-on theology, and it's in almost every one of his epistles. Adam is the old man. They partake of this knowledge. Their eyes are open, and they make for themselves a suit of fig leaves. Now, God, of course, comes in the cool of the day and says, what have you done? You've eaten from the tree. And in his mercy, he makes for themselves, he makes for them another suit of clothes. There's a new suit. And it's a suit that's made out of the garment of an animal. And Adam and Eve put it on. But in that putting on of the new suit, they still have to leave the garden. It's insufficient. So that new clothing, they're required to, to move out. They're dressed in it. They have a, a new robe, new clothing, but they still have to leave the garden. So the story of the Bible picks up on, on this question. You've got the, the, the flaming sword of the seraphim. Who can come into the presence of God? Who can ascend his holy hill? Who can come dwell in his garden? And it's not the one who's dressed in the garment of skin, the skin of the animal. They can't come back in. Now that's representative, of course. In our passage, stick with me here, Paul says they're being made new into a knowledge according to the image of the one who created them. So there's a new creation. Jesus is making them new after the pattern of himself. He's making a whole new Adam, a new man, after the pattern of himself, but this new man is made in knowledge. This new man possesses what the old Adam did not possess. Remember the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It was good for food. It was desirable to make one wise. Uh, if, I'm not going to prove it. I, th I think you've probably heard this, that, that knowledge of good and evil, if you trace the phrase through the Old Testament, it's a judgment. It's, it's elevating to the position of a king. So kings have a knowledge, a discernment of good and evil. Children do not. Adam didn't have this. He came as a child. When God makes the new man, he makes him with, in, knowledge. It's not back into the garden. Instead, he's lifted up this new man to a position that Adam did not have in the garden. He comes with knowledge, being made in the image 
of the one who created him. So there is an elevation, and there's an elevation with clothing. All right. Hopefully we followed that mostly. We're going to tie all of this together. Leviticus chapter 1. This is the, the law of the burnt offering, or if you translate literally the word, it's the ascension offering. How do you ascend into the presence of God? Well, this is how. Leviticus 1. Yahweh called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of the meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of you brings an offering to Yahweh, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd or the flock. If his offering is an ascension offering or a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male without defect, without any blemish, and he shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before Yahweh. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, the ascension offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. And he shall slay the young bull before Yahweh, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around on the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall then skin the burnt offering. He shall skin the ascension offering and cut it in pieces and put it on fire and arrange the pieces over the fire and burn them up. Now, there's a, a detail there that I usually skip over. First, the animal is skinned. Go look up the translation of that word. It is the, the Greek word in the Septuagint that we have translated stripped. It's the same root word. You strip off, you skin the outside animal, of the animal. That's his clothing. You lay your head on the, on the animal. You're associated with, with him. Your, your, your sins are associated with this animal, and you strip off every vestment from this member of the flock. Then he's cut in pieces, put on the altar, all cut up, and then burnt. And in the burning, the smoke ascends into the glory, of, glory cloud of God. So how do you ascend into the presence of the Lord? Well, there's a stripping, stripping off of the, the vestment of what was old. Now, this animal was without blemish, but when you lay your hand on the head of the animal, he's associated with you. That animal is representing you and your sinful flesh before God. And that, that garment, that covering, is stripped away. And then, in death, that animal ascends into the presence of God. So how do we come in? Uncovered. Paul's first command to us, put off. You have put off, now put off. Because it's incongruent for the believer who's put off everything that was associated with the old sinful flesh to continue on in those kinds of sins, in sexual perversion, in, in anger, put them away, strip them off in order to come into the presence of the Lord. I had uh, Hyde read for you Leviticus 16 this morning. I'm not going to reread the whole chapter, but I, I just want to point out for you, and, and we'll be done here um, in, in the Old Testament track down. I want to point out for you how this understanding, uh, 
how God builds on it throughout Scripture. In Leviticus 16, if you pair this with Numbers 28, the high priest comes before God and he's offered before God just like the burnt offering. So one day out of the year, he ascends into the presence of God. And on that day of atonement, he goes into the presence of God and what must he do? In Leviticus 16, he takes off all the outer garments of glory and splendor. He's, he's got animal garments, a skin on him. He's clothed with, with the, the, the jewels, it's the robes of his office. And that's taken and laid aside. Why is it laid aside? It's covered with sin. In, in the Old Testament, it's covered with the sins of the people for the entirety of the year. He represents the people. He represents the house of God in their midst. And it's taken aside and he dresses in linen garments. There's no covering in those garments. They're like the fig leaves. They don't, they don't cover up any sin. Instead, he goes into the Holy of Holies and it's all put aside. When he comes back out, and you'll notice that as he goes in, he's washed. As he comes out, he's washed, just like the animal of the ascension offering. His guts are washed, he's skinned, and then he ascends into the presence of the Lord. The high priest does this as well. When he comes back out, he washes again, and then he puts on those robes, the garments of glory and splendor. You can read about them in Numbers 28. I'm, I'm not going to go through those details. But there is a new putting on. Those garments are now cleansed because of the blood of the Lamb. And so he can dress himself again in the robes of his office. He cannot go into the presence of God with those robes on him. They're stained. They're like the, 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 the flesh that's stained by sin. So all of this, and there's much more, but we're, we're not going to walk through all of it. All of this is in the background. When Paul tells us, you have been circumcised in the circumcision of Christ, and they're stripping off of the body of flesh by that circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. We're washed, we're cleaned, and the, the garment of our flesh is stripped away with Jesus. That is done. And so for Paul, that's, that is what's real. This is who you are. You have died with Christ, and that old man is stripped away. So stop lying. Stop lying with your flesh. Stop lying with your body. When... As a made new person of Christ, put together in the new man, who is Jesus, when we continue on in sin, we're lying. All in the message of Colossians, he's telling us, don't let them keep defrauding you. Don't let them delude you. Don't let them take you captive in empty lies. Uh, who is the father of lies? It's Satan, right? He started them out there in, uh, in Genesis 3. He's, he, he's the father of lies and the father of liars. When we continue in sin, as believers, part of the new man, having stripped off the old, 
having put on this new man who's being renewed in the image of in the image of the one who created him with knowledge. When we when we when we have this incongruent lifestyle, we lie to one another about what Jesus has done. And so Paul says, stop, put it away. Every lie from your mouth, every lie with your body, put away the desire, the, the, the covetousness, which is idolatry, which fills our, our body with sexual perversion and anger and every, every manner of hatred towards one another. Put them away because they are lies. You have been made new in Christ. Verse 10 You've put on the new man. Now, I just want to make a, a comment here. My translation says new self. I don't, I don't think that's a good translation. The word is actually man. The, the, when it's translated as self, the new self, or the old self, you get this idea that there's two yous. There's an old me and there's a new me. That, that's not true. For Paul, we've put off the old, we've put on the new. Now, in your newness, you can lie to one another with how you act, with what you do. But you have put on this new man. There's, there's another part of the translation. When you translate it as new man, it's both individual, but also we have to come to this text and say it's collective because man is singular. It's not just one. It's not new men and women and, and barbarians and Scythians and slaves. It's one new man. There's only one who is Jesus. And so our, our sins then are sins within the members of our body. In, um, in uh, Romans, he says, he says, put these things away. Stop lying to one another because you're members of one another, because you're, you're all part of one body. So it's the same idea here. We've been made new in this knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And at the very heart of it, remember that Paul's theology is built on this hope. You grasp a hold of it. So flip back to Colossians chapter 1. Keep your finger there in chapter 3. And look at verses 4 and 5. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So we've heard, it's come into our ears, this truth, the good news that God calls us and has called us to put away all that's old and to put on the new man. This is what's truth. We are a new humanity in Christ. And so he's reminding us of that then in the middle of these verses, in the middle of the section where he tells us to put off the old and to put on the new. He reminds us, you have put off the old and you have put on the new. So don't lie about it. Now, verse 11. In this new man, this gets to the heart of the big lie. In this new man, there is no Greek or Jew. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no barbarian. There is no Scythian. There is no slave. There is no free man. But Christ is all and in all. Now, as you've heard from Colossians and from Galatians, this big lie is that what Jesus did on the cross did not make one new man. That's the big lie that was being perpetrated in Paul's day to the church at Colossae. It was the lie that 
that Peter perpetrated when he would not sit with the Gentiles. In fact, he says that his, his actions were not in accordance with the truth of the word. They were a lie. So this new man, Paul wants to remind us, there's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no circumcised, there's no uncircumcised, because in his time that was the lie. Jesus died and he was raised to make one new man in which those divisions were stripped away. The rulers and authorities that created the divisions were stripped away. And there is only one man. Christ is all. That's what he says at the end. Now he adds to that. Beyond just Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, there is no barbarian. Those are the ones who, whose speech sounded unintelligible. They got named because their speech sounded like bar, 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 bar to the civilized world. There is no Scythian. Those were the ones who were, were murderous. They, they were the lowest of the low because they, they, were, they were wild men. And then he says there's no slave and there's no free man. You know that in the church at Colossae, the Philemon, Philemon was from that church. And Onesimus was from that church. And so in the, the sister letter, in the, the letter of Philemon, there's this inversion in which Onesimus, the slave, is lifted up into the congregation with his master. And Paul is, Paul is writing then to Philemon to ask him to set him free. There is no slave, there is no free man, but instead Christ is all and in all. This is what's truth. Christ is all, Christ is in all. It's been accomplished at the cross, and now we work it out in truth. Just a, a couple more minutes here. As I've been saying all along, I don't think we struggle with the lie of circumcision today. I don't know any of you that struggle with that lie. And so... Satan, the father of lies, has been cast down from heaven. What, what lie? What lie circulates among us? What lie is on the outside that wants to come in? These big lies, they attack the word of the truth, the gospel that you've heard. They attack the hope laid up in store for us. They make it seem as if Christ is insufficient. They may use words that sound like the Bible, but they make God's work less than what it is. And so there's lies for us that I, I think are easy for our congregation to spot right now. We have to continue shoring ourselves up against those lies. But remember that as the new mankind, when we, when we live in sexual perversion, we're lying to one another and we're lying to the world and we're perpetrating the lie, the same lie that's at the base of our 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 culture worlds, wars on, on homosexuality, on, on transgenderism, it's the same base lie that God is insufficient, that his work in Christ is insufficient for our needs. So put away lies. Put them away from the very smallest of them on the personal level in which we cover ourselves up. Instead, we come into God uncovered into his presence with one another, one new man in Christ, and there, we've put on this new man, this Christ, and so with him, we're also clothed. We've put aside the old, we've put on the new, the made fresh garments of glory and splendor. And we're going to look then in the coming weeks at what those garments are. He tells us in verse 12 what they look like, what it means to be dressed in the robes that are the glory and the righteousness of Christ. So as we, as we close, I just want to remind us there that... The end of verse 11, 
that statement. I don't think I have time to exegete it in fullness. Christ is all. Christ is in all. This is the heart of the truth that Paul wants to convey, that he wants us to not lie against. Christ is all. Christ is in all. And you can, you can take this statement in so many dimensions. Christ is sufficient for all. Christ is all harkens back to chapter 1 in which he is the one who, by whom all things were created, through whom they're created, unto whom they're created, by whom they're redeemed, through whom they're redeemed, unto whom they're redeemed. So past, present, future, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. Christ is all. He is the fullness of God who fills all in all. We who possess Christ have everything. There is nothing lacking. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do not seek for fulfillment outside of Christ. That is an empty deception. It's a lie in which there is no fulfillment. There is no future. Instead, we are raised up with Christ. Our life is with Christ. We don't need any of those things, any of the empty Empty promises that the father of lies perpetrates. We've been given all things. Christ is all. Now, more than that, above that, for all of us here, Christ is all. There's a unification that occurs in that Christ is all. Christ is the, it means, remember, the anointed one. We spent some time in chapter 2 on the statement, Jesus is Lord and Christ. So he's Lord, he's God. And he's the anointed, promised Messiah who is Christ. He's both. In his role as man, he adds us to himself. We don't get added into his role as God, but we are added into Jesus the man. And finally, Christ is in all. That means in each one of us, Christ resides. It makes it much harder to be angry at your brother. C.S. Lewis said, and I'll, I'll close with this. C.S. Lewis said that, it's hard for us to think about the fact that in each of us is a person so filled with glory and splendor, unimaginable, beyond our recognition, because Christ is in us, that if we were to see them now, we would be tempted to worship them. Of course, we don't do that, but Christ is in us. So we put away lying, we put away anger, we put away covetousness, because Christ is all and in all. If you would, stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have heard the word of truth, the gospel, and that good news has proclaimed that he has made us new. We are the new man who is Christ. He dwells in us, amongst us, in each of us. Christ is all in us. Lord, help us to grasp a hold of that truth, to live in accord with it so that we do not walk in lies and perpetrate lies. Help us to put away, to put to death every form of sin, every vestige of uncleanness because we have been made new in Christ this morning. We give thanks unto you, the one who's done it, our Savior and Lord. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.